Things that people probably expect us to talk about, you know? Yeah, we can talk about a couple of these things. I mean, I, I've had absolutely zero preparation. Not that I ever do, but I mean, I've had even less than normal, you know? But yeah, we could talk about any of these things. What do you want to talk about? Um, Are we Q. doing these in order? I'm Q. And I'm Jewish Dave. This is Bird Road. This is Bird Road. So we got a special... Um, treat for you guys today you get to hear the interview skills of jewish dave uh as he talks with simon reed about uh, from the las vegas sun about climate change and its effects on southern nevada so that should be fun haven't heard it yet i'm entrusting that you did a good you're job. gonna hear it though i promise you but uh yeah no it it, it, it was a fun interview we we talked about uh about climate change and and how it's affecting Southern Nevada and how uh, there's actually some positive outlook uh, in the future for Las Vegas. So uh, it's a good interview and uh, yeah, that'll be coming up later in the episode. Yep. So, but for now, um, we just wanted to kind of say hi to everybody. Hi. Hey. Hey. Is that, is, did we agree on that beforehand that we we're going to say hi to people? <laughs> I think we should say hi to every one of our individual listeners. I don't see I don't see that on the uh, on the outline. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on this outline, but not that. Uh, hello to Joffrey. <laughs> hello to Braden. What's this intro business? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I just wanted to talk about a couple of of news items before we jump into it. Things that I'm sure, sure that people expect to hear from us. Uh, this comes in the um. I'm going to start a little further down the, the outline with um, number number two, the current affair article, current affairs article that uh, I read that that by Nathan J. Robinson that got my attention, which is sort of a um, a catch up or a retrospective, like uh, coalescing all of the different biographies, autobiographies, um, oral histories, whatever of a bunch of what he calls the Obama boys. And so these are like the guys that the, the dude bros that kind of worked on Obama's staff that all sort of went off and started their own like media companies and um, their own, uh, you know, their own um, consultancies and agencies and, and firms and shit like that. So <laughs> I, I didn't just want to bring this up out of nowhere. Like it, it, it published yesterday, March tenth. Today is, I think we're recording on the. Are we recording on the eleventh? No, two it days is ago. Twelfth. Yeah, yeah, today's the twelfth. It's published on the tenth in Current Affairs. Check out currentaffairs.org. And um, so I wanted to bring it up because it's a pretty. You know, I'm not going to go through it point by point, but it's a pretty cohesive criticism of why the Obama administration was just so bad at politics and why it was just generally like failed on so many levels um to deliver on the shit that we all sort of worked or you know or, or hoped for or voted for in 2008 only to obama's like biggest continued supporters and the people who continue to uh, you know deride trump for what a horrible president he is which he is is was Obama's presidency not this huge disappointment, right? Like for most mm. of us, particularly progressives, we think that 
was just like this huge missed opportunity. It's not like it was a terrible presidency per se. It was just there was a real momentum where things could have changed. Instead, you just kind of ended up being a garden variety centrist pro-war anti-immigration president, which, you know, that's his legacy. And um, things like Obamacare and a lot of his um, rulemaking and executive orders were undone and, and defanged pretty much the moment he left office, right? Like mm. it, he, he, his lasting, what he hoped would be his lasting legacy, I'm sure, him and these guys that are mentioned, these bros that are mentioned in this article, what they hoped would be their lasting legacy was turned out to be, you know, made of ice. And the moment that a little bit of heat was applied, it melted away. So I bring this up only because. In the next few days, we're going to hear from um, Joe Biden, who's going to announce his presidency, uh, his candidacy for the uh, for for presidency, and it's going to get a lot of attention because he was Obama's vice president for eight years. But, um, like, I just want people to interrogate not just the shitty background that Joe Biden has, which includes uh, I think a lot of people forget that he was pro segregation in the seventies, um, <laughs> maybe. Fewer people forget, thanks to HBO and their uh, the 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 movie that the, the the movie that they made about the Clarence Thomas hearing uh, on the Clarence Thomas ah the Clarence Thomas Senate hearings where he was being um, vetted and uh, for the Supreme Court when he was nominated by George W. Bush. I think if people more people probably remember what a piece of shit um, Biden was during that hearing, which he presided over. Um, where he allowed some really reprehensible behavior to, you know, towards Anita Hill, who had obviously very credibly accused Clarence Thomas of um, sexual harassment and started obviously a, a huge conversation about sexual harassment in the workplace. So even irrespective of Biden's really, really shitty background as a politician, he is... A representative of that underwhelming Obama, you know, warm, fuzzy, hope and change shit that didn't actually really turn into anything. So um, I just wanted to bring this up and, and let people know, check out this article. It's a good sort of indictment on where where the Obama administration fell short. Another guy that you can lump in here is, is Julian Castro, who's running as well. I mean, on a much lower profile, he's not getting as much attention. But I mean, he was a real piece of shit as well, Castro. He he ran HUD during a time that HUD basically fucked over a lot of poor people and, and uh, under the distressed asset program um, kind of left a lot of people evicted or kicked out of their houses and uh, just fucked over a lot of working poor people and uh, was really emblematic of these sort of technocratic business first approaches that Obama used for a lot of um, policymaking in the place of a lot of policymaking in the place of a lot of social safety net uh, rebuilding that we, I guess, hoped he would engage in. But instead, it was always ensuring that the muddied interests would be, um, you know, first at the trough to be able to eat. So my question um, is, Anyone who would be excited for uh, for Biden um, or Julian Castro, aren't they already on board for Kamala Harris? Like what? Yeah, it's definitely going to split it. I think you're right in that. It's, it's like, well, what's the point? Like, why the, isn't he throwing his his support behind somebody? I, I just well, think... he's a profoundly and to to read um, about Biden, you you learn some things about him because he was very sort of 
in the background or really only visible in very kind of goofy or silly ways during the during the Obama administration. But Biden is a profoundly vain man. He's a very, very <laughs> conceited person. That's true. I mean, I've never met him or anything like that. And I certainly don't know it firsthand. But um, like that is a, a well-known secret about Biden is that he's a very, very vain man. And um, that he probably doesn't see himself as being like he doesn't see Kamala Harris being on the same level as him. Probably he doesn't view her as a um, a worthy adversary. Uh, That's problematic on multiple levels. Very problematic, just for me to even say it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no, he doesn't. He doesn't think that a Kamala Harris will will be. Uh, honestly, I would love to see. Um, a, a sort of consolidation of the of the further left vote of people who think that Kamala is a cop, people who think that right. Biden is is a racist and a weird. He also has like all this weird habit of like grabbing women. Yeah, that, yeah he's, he's, a, he's a little creepy, real skeevy. I mean, he probably <laughs> doesn't mean any harm, but it's definitely not sure. good. It's definitely not something he's you know, it's definitely something that'll get brought up in this atmosphere, especially during the Democratic primary. I I can't wait. I hope him. <laughs> I hope him, um, Harris and Beto, all sort of split that block of like fifty percent of Democrat voters, Democrat primary voters, who would want a centrist, milk toast sort of, no real position liberal candidate. You know, like all like right. that half of the party that votes. I would hope that like they'll. All kind of like Biden will get twenty percent, she'll get twenty percent, Beto will get ten percent, and then, you know, obviously for for our purposes, we would love it if 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 of that remaining fifty percent, if Bernie pretty much dominated most of it, or mm-hmm. you know maybe even split it with um, with with uh, Warren at first. I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to to know how this is all going to shake out. Plus, it's still like a year away until these um, primaries get get rolling. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you saw the fervent energy there in Nevada two years ago for um, for Hillary at the caucuses. I mean, can you picture those same numbskulls getting all you know, uh, f- like getting to the point where they would be willing to throw chairs again for any of these <laughs> candidates? I don't know. It just seems like the blood has been drained from that side of the, um, that side of the, 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 the yeah, I mean, and, and I think for, for all of our criticism of Hillary Clinton, I mean, she, she was kind of a movement of her own. She was for sure. There were, there were people, I don't, I don't think it was a healthy movement because I think it was this weird thing where you, it was more like worship. It was the thing that Bernie people actually get accused of a lot, which frankly, Bernie people don't have this problem because Bernie people criticize Bernie a lot. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. But people place themselves inside of Hillary. Like they're like, she's an avatar for me and for my own perceived inadequacies and problems that I'm not able to, you know, to So yeah, I think that the I'm with her thing, it was a shitty, shitty campaign slogan, but it was, it was pretty on point. Sure. Yeah. No, it worked. So yeah, I don't know if that, I don't know if that resonates in the same way now. I'm, I mean, I'm thinking of the, like the typical Nevada voter, the typical Florida voter, even who I think that a lot of that Florida definitely kind of saw through her and was duped and was also just a generally reactionary state in 2016. Um, and also, I mean, the Florida voter is a uniquely shitty 
creature in the last <laughs> like three or four years. And uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's pretty bad. I have this thing I wrote about that. I'm uh, you know by the time you hear this, I'm gonna say that if I haven't published it somewhere else, I'm just gonna publish it on Bird Road. So check it out. I wrote I wrote like a column about how shitty the Florida voter is, and I I kind of put out some feelers to some people that I know to see if they wanted to put it up, and I just haven't heard anything back, and I don't feel like waiting because it's almost exactly a year before the Florida primary, which will be March seventeenth. 2020 which will be the first big primary i know people talk mm. about iowa and new hampshire but i mean ultimately those are fucking meaningless uh, they they if you look at the winners of iowa and new hampshire they never end up really mattering sometimes they get it right sometimes they don't and there's not really any the, the, like it doesn't it's it's over it's it's overdone in importance like it's over enunciated in importance so um florida will be the first big one and um you know we'll see who who wins here bernie did not do well here progressives don't tend to do well here um we're very susceptible to being fooled into thinking that even the like most moderate milquetoast democrats are communists and we're a a profoundly stupid state and um so we'll see but it's it's a year from now so you know if you're hearing the sound of my voice that that article is either up on the website or um or it'll be i don't know somewhere else i'll put it in the show notes I, i i think it would be good to uh for you to start getting some articles on our website. That would be fun. Um, another extremely normal thing that's happening is the worst tropical cyclone in a decade may strike Mozambique on Friday. And I bring that up not because we are trying to you know wedge ourselves into the Mozambique uh, weather reporting vertical or anything like that, but it's, it says it's the strongest, this is from Bloomberg, the strongest tropical cyclone in at least a decade is expected to make landfall in Mozambique at the end of the week, bringing devastating winds and floods to the central coastline. But here's the thing. The storm, named uh, Ide, has already strengthened to the equivalent of a Category 3 storm, the third most severe level on the Saffir-Simpson scale, with maximum sustained winds speeds of more than 111 uh, 111 miles per hour. Um, Now, this happened... It could still strengthen to Category 4 or even Category 5. This happened over a period of something like 48 hours, which is <laughs> unheard of. Like, this is it, <laughs> such a dramatically fast storm that just, like... And also, by the way, not even the season for it. It completely, like, freak storm. And again, we talk about, like, these crazy weather events as we get ready to talk to Seamoon Reed about um, climate change. This crazy shit that's going to start happening, and I think it's going to start happening in uh, a, a far more dramatic way like this. I think this, we think stuff like this is crazy, and I think we just need a little bit more time to adjust to what the new reality is going to be. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, these are going to be more and more frequent until they're just all the time and they're the new normal. And uh, yeah, I think that they're, they're going to make the things that we see like storm of the centuries and all that just look like just every year occurrences. It's just going to be constant. Wanted to talk about a Miami Herald. Yeah. Damn. I should have had some water before we started. I think I have some. You're all mush mouth. I'm mush mouth. You sound like a piggy. wanted to read some Miami Herald article that I can't even remember what it's about but I click on it and it just this is this thing where like 
I don't know if you have anything that you subscribe to where you constantly have to re-log back in every single time you click on a new page in an article or a new page on a website. The Herald's single sign-on function is got to be like one of the worst websites out there. Every single page that you click on, you have to re-log back in. Oh, that's so annoying. It's so annoying. It opened like multiple tabs and shit like that. Yeah, so despite the Herald website's awfulness... Um, it's a Daniel Chang story that I wanted to just kind of bring up that I thought was, I don't know, it's not funny or anything. It's horrible. In Miami, babies born a few miles apart face 15-year gap in life expectancy. And I'll save you all the details. You can check it out on herald.com if you can fucking log in. Uh, but <laughs> um, they're talking about the difference between like this very tony, well-moneyed uh, area called Brickle Key, which is a short distance from um, Overtown, just a couple miles away. Uh, which is a not moneyed area, which is a historically black area. And um, they're talking about the distance, the difference, 71 years versus 87 years of life expectancy in these two neighborhoods. Um, Key Biscayne is the number is 87. That's the highest in the county, but that drops to about 76 in North Miami. And they just kind of talk about this, this study that, that, outlines the different life expectancies it's crazy to think that two miles away people born in these areas have 15 year difference 15 year difference in life expectancy yeah that's bizarre that's absolutely weird well it's just it's it's not that bizarre i mean it's just a byproduct of um it's a byproduct of wealth it's a byproduct of of capital and the healthcare that comes with it sort of intrinsically and um where do where do you live in uh in uh regards to this area let's take a look not that you were born there but you know yeah i wasn't born there but i live in an area <laughs> where they probably live pretty long i mean are you are you gonna die <laughs> i have bad news dave <laughs> we're all gonna die <laughs> i don't know if i could take it all right so we are today doing an interview with Cindy Reed, a staff writer from the Las Vegas Weekly and the Las Vegas Sun. Last week, she published a piece entitled Climate Change in Nevada Can Be Stopped With Our Help, which is a pretty hopeful piece on a generally pretty bleak topic. Um, you can follow her on Twitter at Reed and uh, read a lot, of, a lot of her articles in the Las Vegas Sun, Las Vegas Weekly, and a whole bunch of other places. Cindy, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Um, so aside from my little brief introduction there, would you introduce yourself to some of our listeners? Let us know a little bit more about what it is you do. Sure. Yeah, I'm a staff writer for the Las Vegas Weekly. And so I have the joy about getting to write about anything and everything that interests me from music and art and theater to um, outdoor issues and land rights and politics. It's kind of just whatever catches my eye, which is the dream job. Nice, nice. Yeah, you're, you've are you always been one of the names that I bother when I put out new albums and stuff. I'm always sending out my... <laughs> <laughs> and I think you've written about me once or twice in the past, but I'm not sure. I certainly but, hope so. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I, I'm glad to have you here. I, when I saw this article, um, like I was telling you a little bit before we started recording here, um, a lot of the times our guests are uh, more from Miami with, with our Miami, uh, you know, 
angle of the show. Uh, so it's good to have someone here from Las Vegas and the issues that are facing Las Vegas. And climate change is something we talk about a lot on the show, whether it's talking about Las Vegas or Miami. Um, of course, Q, uh, who can't be here today for the interview, um, he brings it up a lot because his house is going to be underwater pretty soon. Um, but here we have a, a different set of uh, issues and all of that. Um, you know, the first thing I wanted to ask you, like right off the bat, is what is the state of like the awareness of the issue here in Las Vegas, as far as you saw while uh, researching the article? I mean, I think it's actually getting better. I, um, I'll quote a study that said, so I guess Colorado College does this annual poll about kind of climate change awareness, as well as lots of issues affecting the West. Mm -hmm. And um, 74% of Nevada voters now view climate change as a serious problem. Um, and uh, that's up 16% since the last time they asked. So, I mean, I would say that that people are starting to realize and starting to care. Uh, there's a professor I spoke to named George Ree. He likens it to the Titanic, where <laughs> at some point, you know, people are more concerned with what are they going to wear to the fancy dinner. Sure. And then... And then very slowly, the the tide turns, if you will. Right, right. Yeah, we won't get the, the tides too much here, but we get uh, <laughs> no tides. But <laughs> um, So, you know, once you started, uh, well, I guess before we get into the actual, uh, the discussions on the topic, you had mentioned at the beginning that we have a lot of... Uh, uh, that you have a lot of topics that you like to write about. What was it that drew you to uh, getting into this this discussion and, and writing this article? Well, just as a person that lives in the world in the year 2019, um, climate change is something that concerns me. Mm -hmm. And and because I write for a Las Vegas Weekly, a local-focused um, magazine, it made me wonder, like, how is it going to affect us? I mean, we keep seeing news stories about crazy things that happen in other localities from Miami getting flooded out mm -hmm. to wildfires to, you know, islands possibly disappearing to polar vortexes <laughs> or is that polar vortices? I don't know. That's a good um, question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the East Coast gets crazy hurricanes and the Midwest gets tornadoes. But um, fortunately, the desert Southwest um doesn't really get any of that. And so I we wonder... get wind and scorpions. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was wondering, like, you know, would climate change bring uh, the onset of giant man-eating scorpions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so I decided to investigate. Um, Makes sense. And, uh, and I wanted to know what, you know, what will happen to us here? Uh, what are people doing to help it? And... Um, should I buy a house in Vegas? <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> One that I think most of the issues we discuss really come down to. Should we be buying houses right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, before we get into any of the, the things that we're going to do to combat this and all that, what are we seeing so far, like as far as manifestations of climate change here in Las Vegas? Uh, I think that it kind of boils down to two issues. Uh, heat and uh, loss of water. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think in this kind of plays out globally too, you know, global warming is, or global ch climate change is about making the weather more extreme and not just hotter. So right. uh, 
So expect, you know, more droughts and um, hotter summers. And, uh, and, you know, for us, we get our water from the Colorado River. And uh, there's just issues facing kind of the entire desert southwest about, you know, drought, lower water flows, um, who's going to get the water, will there be enough? Um, and kind of like, when it's hotter, actually less water flows through anyway. So, um, so heat and water. I yeah, guess. <laughs> it seems like the battle for water is going to be like the major, major one. Um, one, one that I was wondering about is our like our industry here, our tourism and whatnot. Do you think that's going to affect that as well? From the people that I spoke to, probably not. It will probably be fine. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of what they said is that you know Arizona in the summer already has <laughs> yeah. Arizona already has hotter summers and they're doing just fine. So um, so the tourists can just camp out inside of casinos. You just turn on the air conditioner a little right. bit longer, which isn't great for the environment. Use itself, more energy. But, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it's not really uh, you or me or the tourist. It's mainly kind of more vulnerable populations, unfortunately, that are going to bear the brunt of it. You know, people that are homeless or can't afford air conditioning and stuff like that. And that seems to be what we've done for many, many years anyway, and it's just a matter of continuing that, just ignoring the issues and just putting the Band-Aid of air conditioning and indoors and all that on it. Um, uh, when you talk to George Ree, he seemed to have uh, a somewhat positive outlook um, as far as there are a bunch of things that we can do, and it's a matter of let's try a bunch of things and see which ones combined will have the best, uh, the best results. Which of those uh, strategies do you think we're most likely to start implementing sooner rather than later? I think solar energy is the most natural choice for the desert southwest where we get a bazillion days of sunshine a year. Mm -hmm. um, and we're already kind of doing that. And, and, uh, and so I would say solar. Uh, George Ree also talks about how nuclear energy would be a good solution. But um, ironically, I think that or he says that nuclear energy is probably a no-go politically in right. Nevada just because of our, our uh, troubled history with atomic testing. Even, sure. even though, ironically, those things have nothing, not much to do with each other, uh, Nevadans are kind of uh, wary of anything nuclear or radioactive. Yeah, I, I think for, for somewhat good reason. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to know. It's one of those issues where it's like, it's just big what ifs yeah. and it's, it's, it's scary. I mean, yeah. it, it really is. And if that goes wrong, it goes wrong in a really dramatic way where, you know, you could argue that coal energy has as much bad effects, but it goes bad in such a slow kind of, you know, that tiny leak in the corner of your house that you yeah. can kind of ignore it. It's not a big boom. Yeah. Um, when you drive like anywhere towards the outskirts of Vegas or like starting to head towards, you know, the Boulder cities or, or on the way to LA or any of that, it's just crazy that we're not using more of that for solar and, uh, and wind as well. I mean, it just seems, you know, that, that's one question, a little bit of a detour, but it seems like wind here is like way more than it ever was. Is that a climate change thing, do you think? Or is that just just the way it is here in the desert? Um, you know, I don't know if it's windier than it used to be. Uh, 
I mean, definitely, I've always felt that that kind of ruined springtime in Las Vegas sure, is yeah. the miserable winds. But uh, interesting, like in terms of wind energy, you would think that would be kind of like an automatic, let's run with it. But uh, but about a year ago, a, a group of investors were trying to open a uh, windmill station, I guess, uh, somewhere in the desert of Nevada mm -hmm. and there was like huge environmental pushback against it. And I think they eventually gave up. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, there is, there's, I guess, downsides to, to, you know, wind energy as well. It seems like a lot of the downsides that they bring up usually are like, you know, big, like kind of ridiculous. What ifs like birds and whatnot, stuff like that, where it's like, you know, we we have all this land. We have the opportunity to do it. Like, let's get our energy from somewhere that's more renewable like that. Like, let's just do this and let's, like, really get this thing started. Because, obviously, these are the things that are going to be needed uh, using solar, using wind, using all these alternative things. We have to start it. Yeah, so, so George's answer and kind of everybody I spoke to, because I spoke to several different experts in Nevada, um, and, and basically, he said that the biggest thing that you could do was kind of political action. Um, the solutions exist. There are ways to switch to renewable. You know, renewable does exist. Solar is becoming better and better. Um, there just needs to be the political will. Yeah. And so he said, you know, make, make people understand that, you know, you're voting for them based on their stance on climate change. Yeah. And, uh, you know, write your legislatures because um, it's such a big problem that, that you need big solutions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it really does. I mean, you know, I hate to make everything politics, but it really does come down to politics with a lot of this and what we're going to allow. Um, you know, on a similar note, uh, NV Energy, what, what have you heard as far as them and their, you know, pushback against any of these ideas? You know, you're just making me realize that I didn't actually speak to NV Energy. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure they wouldn't have wanted to talk anyway, but... <laughs> they might have. Um, I mean, I think that that my guess is that when you're a big entrenched company, change is hard and slow and expensive. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of easier to keep the status quo um, if you're making money. Yeah. It, it seems like there's a lot of opportunity for them to take the reins of something like this. But again, it's just a matter of bottom line and money and whatnot uh, that maybe they just simply don't want to put in the research and development to actually get it going and someone else is just going to have to come in and and take the customers you know if we're going to go there i mean i was kind of surprised at how much envy energy was against all those rooftop rooftop solar ideas a couple years ago yeah um because to me rooftop solar is would be a natural idea makes so much sense and um you know once we can kind of get the battery the battery power issue solved then you know in many ways it's actually a safer system if you have everybody producing and running their own power yeah. instead of one one centralized power system is much more you know vulnerable to terrorism and such like that than if sure. everybody has their own grid absolutely yeah i mean and it's not like 
it's not like we're taking it all away from them, you know, like we're still going to need in immense amounts of energy uh, as we continue to grow as a city and as, you know, everyone, you know, every area of the country. But speaking specifically about Las Vegas, I mean, we're still going to need NV energy, even if we all had our rooftop solars, you know, powering a, a nice portion and just cutting back, cutting back, which seems to be a big refrain when it comes to any of this is we, we need to cut back on what we're using. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we could mainly switch to to renewable power sources, that I think that would be the most important thing. Um, and find a way, you know, if we can find a way to use those renewable power sources to power vehicles instead of gasoline. Sure. Um, and that would also improve the air quality in Las Vegas. Yeah, before we start getting really bad. Because, I mean, I think it's really only been recently that you start to notice it, the uh, the air quality. and. I, I hope it doesn't get worse. I mean, it certainly seems like it's going in that direction. But, you know, w there is, you know, there's plenty of urgency with this situation. Uh, what do you think, like, based on the time you spent putting this, this article together and everything, you know, where do you think, I, I mean, obviously this is a much more of a long-term situation where we're really going to need to make a lot of changes. But what do you think 10 years from now or, you know, 10, 15 years from now? I mean, I hope that we, in, in that much time, will have switched to renewable for Nevada. I think that mostly means solar power. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully there'll be some breakthrough with the battery systems, because right now that's the big challenge with solar, is that um, when the sun's not shining, um, you need another power source. Sure. Uh, and you get a lot of power during the day mm -hmm. um, and sometimes excess power. But then what do you do at night? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, that's why Envy Energy is still going to have their customers. You know, <laughs> they, I think uh, somebody needs to sell them on that, maybe. <laughs> um, another thing I think somebody was talking about was using that extra solar power and something about maybe moving water kind of up and down a river to act as almost like a mechanical battery. Mm. Um, so, so that could be another option. That's interesting. I mean, that, I wonder how that, uh, plays into, you know, the control of the Colorado river and all, all of that, where it's all the different States are, you know, claiming their amounts of water. Is that struggle going to add into the, you know, the energy that's generated from the river as well? I imagine it probably does. <laughs> I imagine it's a whole other set of, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that most of like the water or the energy that's generated from Hoover Dam goes to California. Right, right. So not our problem. Right. <laughs> they <laughs> Just they got to figure that one out, right? Actually, um, that was one other thing that uh, Professor Ree said was that um, Colorado, or California is going to have a new role where they're trying to, to have like maybe 90% or even 100% renewable by some year in the future. And so that actually presents a great opportunity for Southern Nevada to create solar and then sell it to California. Mm. So, so even another state's positive, you know, changes can can help us too. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. Um, another question uh, that I had here. Uh, the expansion of Las Vegas. Do you think? Uh, and do you think we're going to start seeing it slow down a little bit? Because it seems like it is totally picked back up after the slowdown, you know, the recession and all that. It, it seems like we're back on track and they're just constantly building and building. Is climate change going to finally, 
you know, put any kind of slowdown to that whatsoever? Are we just going to keep going? I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? Right. Um, that is one of the things that I think I asked uh, the deputy state climatologist, Stephanie McKee, about that. Um, I got to been her. Well, <laughs> either way, forget that part. Um, <laughs> that was one of the things I asked uh, the experts about is like, you know, should you buy property in southern Nevada? Um, is it a bad investment because in five, 10, 100 years, it's going to become this, you know, scorched wasteland. Right. Um, and, and they said that it's, it's fine to buy property here and that it's not actually going to be uninhabitable. Um, so I would probably buy property in Las Vegas before I did uh, on the coast of Florida, for sure. say, if you're worried about <laughs> climate change. Um, as for the city's expansion, I think that has more to do with, you know, the economy and tourism than perhaps uh, climate change. I mean, right now the city is growing because the economy is great and right. tourism is great and they're building all these sports teams. Um, you know, who knows what will happen when the economy tanks next time. Right. Um, one other interesting thing is that it seems like there's just limitless land around Las Vegas to expand out into right. uh, for like ever widening swaths of suburbia. But um, it's actually very hard for Las Vegas to grow outward because most of it's federal land. Um, mm. It's BLM land or it's conservation land, um, which, which I guess, you know, I, I think is wonderful. Selfishly, I wish housing prices were cheaper here. Sure. Um, so interestingly enough, we, we will probably be better off looking at growing up, not out. Mm. Um, and then one other thing that might affect, uh, the growth of Las Vegas as a city is, is, is AI and automation and all of that stuff. Like MGM resorts recently announced, they have this like new plan for 2020 and of a lot of it involves, you know, like reducing the workforce using yeah. automation and, you know, robot bartenders and all this stuff. So, I mean, like if we see a huge dip in service jobs, um, that kind of makes me wonder um, if that kind of have ripple effects through the economy. That could uh, bring this conversation to all new areas. Um, I don't think robots need water either. So, uh, yeah. That <laughs> I, I guess at least there's uh, plenty of places for us to live and we could just sit around and do nothing while the robots do everything. That's, That's the dream, right? Sounds, sounds relaxing to me. I'm, I'm all for it. Um, <laughs> well, I think uh, to bring things back to maybe a little more hopeful note, mm -hmm. um, how do how did the people that you uh, talk to feel about the immediate future, like right now, and and uh, uh, the things that we're doing right now as far as trying to, uh, like you had mentioned about uh, at the beginning of this interview about how people are generally believing that this is an actual issue that needs attention right now, and are those people uh, looking at the various solutions in a in a very real way? Is it that message is it starting to really get out there, and uh, do people, the experts that you spoke to, do they seem to be uh, positive about about the direction that it's going? I think absolutely, and I think it's important to remain um, practical and hopeful 
and and look at this as a practical problem that can be solved as opposed to just uh, hide under a rock because the apocalypse is coming no matter what we can do. <laughs> um, you know, we've invented smartphones, and so certainly we can find a better way to power them. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that as the next generation of people uh, grow up and, uh, and realize that this is the problem that they're going to face, um, I think that, that younger and younger people are, are much more aware of it as a real problem. Um, you know, like instead of focusing on uh, maybe trying to convince our grandparents' generation. Sure. Um, if you if you think about, well, what can we do? What what can children do? Um, I think that that there is hope from that. No, that's that's good. And, and I'm I'm just picturing trying to convince like old Vegas like mafia types that this is an issue that we need to pay attention to. I don't think it would go over that well. Maybe with the current uh the, the current crop we can do something. <laughs> I mean, I think that for the older generation, you know, if you're already in your eighties or something, uh global warming doesn't have to be real because sure. for the rest of your life you probably won't see serious consequences from it. Right. Um but you know, if say you're 18, yeah, it it is very real, and so, um, so I think that that there is hope. I mean, definitely not to to get partisan, but it definitely seems that uh, the Democrat Party, you know, cares more about global warming than the Republican Party, and sure, and um, as well as other environmental issues, and and they kind of swept. The midterms mm -hmm. and so i think i think people people are making a difference i mean my hope is that ultimately it would be a strong bipartisan issue where no matter no matter your political beliefs it's something that you would get behind solving yeah absolutely i i i think I mean, certainly the message is out there, and certainly you know articles like yours are really helping to 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 push the fact that there are solutions and that they're not that hard. It's just a matter of coming together, and you know th these are things that we can do and we should want to do, and you know let's start doing some of them, especially for a place like Las Vegas where there's plenty of room for lots of alternative energy options. Mm -hmm. there, there's so much room for it here. It just seems like we could be. A pretty shining example of what could be done, you know, nationwide, worldwide. And and in terms of being an example, I think we already are an example in terms of water use and conservation. Mm -hmm. um, we have one of the smallest allotments of water from the Colorado River, if not the smallest. And um, we we are doing great things in in conserving water. Like if if you use water in Las Vegas to take a shower or brush your teeth. Um, all the water that goes down the drain is is actually like fully recycled, mm -hmm. um, and and so that's why the water conservation efforts have actually turned towards um, uh, terms turned towards outdoor uses like uh, getting rid of grass and stuff like that because um, that water can't be recycled. Uh, but but we have a great a great system for that. Like if you're a tourist and you're ever visiting Las Vegas. Um, you should take a stop by the Springs Preserve. They kind of have an exhibit about how the whole system works. Um, and so, so we're doing better than other, other states. Like, yeah. um, 
Arizona yet, I don't think, has fully gotten their act together with that. Right. I mean, they have different issues. It's a much wider space geographically. Um, but but definitely, I feel like we have, Las Vegas has done a great job of of kind of answering the water question on a community level. Um, and so I think we should be happy about that. And that is an example of how when there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I feel like Las Vegas has been making me proud and a number of political issues lately. And so I'm I'm glad to see uh, that this is another one we could add to that list. So uh, it, it's it's I'd say before we accidentally uh, veer into any negative again, let's keep it on a positive note and, uh, you know, close this up. Did you have any other uh, things you wanted to mention before we uh, finish it up? I mean, it might be interesting noting that both uh, Clark County and the city of Las Vegas um, have kind of worked to to be exemplars as well. Um, in in 2016, the city of Las Vegas uh, became a 100% renewable city government. Uh, and uh, and let's see, it says that was thanks to renewable energy agreement with Envy Energy, our friends there. Nice, nice. That taps a solar facility near um, Boulder City. So they're actually uh, they're they're paying attention a yeah. little bit. I mean, I'm sure that the people at Envy Energy want to do the right thing. It's, it's probably, you know, probably like moving a cruise ship. Right. Um, <laughs> it just takes a long time to, yeah. <laughs> to change directions. We're working in the right direction. That's, uh, that's a good thing. Sounds like a great thing to me. Um, all right. Well, uh, Cindy Reed, thank you so much. Uh, where can our listeners find more of your uh, writing and everything you do? Well, you can find me at lasvegasweekly.com, lasvegassun.com, um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at C Moon Reed. That's C M O O N R E E D. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, and hopefully, we'll get you back on the show again sometime soon. You write about so many varied topics. I'm sure that we could uh, talk to you about a bunch of stuff. Oh, yes. That would be so much fun. Right on. I wonder which one of us will die first. <laughs> I mean, uh, you've got, I mean, your parents are living a long time. Your parents are really beating the odds and living a long time. I know. Well, and they have like 10 times as much energy as I do yeah. at their age. Um, I don't know that. I now can they combined their terrible genetics to make you <laughs> all and, kinds of and you've got all and at the, 40. Yeah. And, at 40. and they were like 40, which yeah. is not good. <laughs> That's always bad. I my mom was like 18 when she had me, which is when you're supposed to have kids at yeah. age 18. Like, um, so I don't know. And I'm a far more robust person than you, and I have I think fewer long-term health problems than you. But I uh, I definitely make worse decisions than you. And you have lots of tummy aches. I have lots of tummy aches. That's eventually going to explode all over the place and be a big problem <laughs> for everyone involved. All the people who rely on my income and all the people who, you know, rely on me for support. And yeah. But they'll forget. They'll forget I'm just, I'm just picturing uh, the blueberry hosting running out. And everyone's like, well, where's piecing it together? And I'm like, sorry, guys. Q got a tummy ache. He got a tummy ache. <laughs> and he died. He got a tummy ache and he died, and now the his legacy is unpaid hosting. That's what he's left behind. 
He ruined everything with his poor tummy. What's going on in uh, piecing it together? We just had our 50th episode, which was Overlord. And uh, uh, we recorded a bunch of new episodes that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. A whole, whole bunch of new episodes. So go check out Piecing It Together. And we still got a contest going on in the uh, Piecing It Together Facebook group also. So uh, go check that out, everybody. That's good. What are we going to do? You want to you do just a Bird Boys episode next week or something? What do you want to do? Yeah, I think that sounds great. All right. So we'll we won't book anybody. We'll come up with some bits. What about some bits? What if, what are some things you want to skewer, Dave? What it's are some awesome. some targets that you want to take down? I don't know, but uh, that that is a good idea though, because um, we're actually going out of town that week. So so we're talking about like this Sunday, the seventeenth. We'll try to record. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, because then I'll be out of town for like five days. After the seventeenth. Yeah, yeah. So, it's not. I mean, it's not like it's hard to record when you're out of town or anything. You just. Is it not? You you really think it's like oh yeah, Barrett? I'm gonna cut short this day of our four days, uh, so I can go set up in the room and record our podcast. (laughs) 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 Oh sure, Barrett. That sounds awesome. That's something I totally want you to be doing. (laughs) <laughs> like even just imagine? generally that's something i want you to be doing <laughs> but especially right now when i'm within a hundred feet of you 